Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Well, everyone, I'm delighted to welcome Will Witt to the Storybox podcast today. Will is part of Prager or Prager U as well, and he, he does a lot of amazing things with that. Prager has over 3 billion views, and Will has been interviewed uh, or had an article written about him on the New York Times as much as I could find. Will, welcome so much to Storybox podcast. Thank you, man, for having me. I appreciate it. Absolute pleasure, man. Are you... I guess we're putting your last name to the test, being witty. <laughs> yes. I, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that joke, <laughs> I'd be had, the richest man in America. It, I just had to say it. But <laughs> yeah. it's an absolute pleasure to have you. I usually have one question that I love asking people to start off with, and that is, what does success look like to you? Success to me, it used to look like something else. And now, I mean, it changes a lot within my own perspective, but in reality, I think success to me means having the people who you truly care about be proud of you, happy with you, um, and love you. Seriously, I mean, I know this sounds kind of corny, saying you know people gotta love you and everything like that. But as I as I've gotten more of more clout and more fame and and everything, getting you know like you said, billions of views and everything like that, the things that I've come to value the most are the relationships I have with those who are closest with me. As when you get more popular, it's much easier to get disconnected from these people. And so I find the most success in my life with the the people who I actually really care about. Now, that doesn't, oh, go ahead. You, you finish up, man. Sorry. Yeah. I was saying that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, things like the amount of views that I have and the amount of people I've influenced with, with my videos and PragerU as well, isn't successful as well, but on a, on a personal note of what I find to be gives me the most joy is, is the personal relationships and feeling successful with those. I love that, man. Where did this idea of success come from for you? Was it more of a gradual thing over time? Or was there more of a catalyst moment in your life? I guess it was more gradual, but it, it happened because I didn't value those relationships at all throughout my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I guess my relationships with my family wasn't always that great. I just grew up with my mom and sister and half brother 
and you know my mom and I weren't very close and and then my sister and I weren't that close my brother was like my father figure to me and we were close but then we got totally disconnected and then I didn't really have a whole lot of really good friends and so eventually I have built these relationships up again me my relationship with my grandparents is so it's flawless now. My relationship with my mom is amazing. Uh, my sister is great. And then I have a couple of, you know, just best friends who are my absolute rocks, an amazing girlfriend too. Um, so it's just the people who I really care about, I, I put everything into and then they give the same back to you. And that's something that I've realized going, just, just going through this. And you find out when you, again, get a bigger audience, you find out who the real ones are and who, who aren't. Oh, absolutely, man. I'm curious to know about this idea of relationships and how come they weren't strong and how you actually decided or why you decided to actually make them strong in the, in the first place? I think a part of it was my fault. I think I was, I mean, I, actually most of it's my fault, especially with my mom, who was my main person. You know, I was just a, I was a teenager at the time and, and, and then going to college and I was just very selfish. I put myself before her. I put myself before everyone else. You know, I didn't listen to her advice. If she, you know, didn't want me going out and do something. I would lie and say, I'm spending my night at a friend's house and then, you know, go and party like a lot of kids do. But I guess I did it more than other people. And I just, we just didn't have any trust in our relationship. She didn't trust me to, to be out on my own. And I didn't want to hear anything that she had to say. And it really brought us apart from each other, which was a sad thing, but I can't tell you how much happier it's made me now, how much more fulfilled in my life. I feel now that her and I are on great terms and that she is one of my, you know, best friends and we call and talk to each other all the time. Like it, it radically changes your life to have your family members be a rock for you, a supporter for you. And like that's part of the reason why I, I am a conservative is because conservatives really believe in in the the power of the family and, and those kind of values. Mm. So you mentioned there that you're going out partying, doing all these sorts of things, and you didn't really have a, a strong connection with your mom and, and it, there was no much trust there. I'm curious, what was the catalyst to make you realize, hang on a minute, I need to change? Yeah. So I was kind of, I mean, when I eventually went to college, I did pretty well in high school, uh, grades wise and extracurriculars and everything. So I was able to keep on my stuff. But then in college, I was very, you know, on my own. Mm. And I was never a political person until I got to college. We can talk about that later. But in terms of the the stuff with my mom, you know, I just, I screwed up a lot of things. I started failing all my classes and I didn't have many good friends and I partied all the time, you know, like, like some people do in college. And I was, I was at rock bottom in some ways at the beginning, at the end of my freshman year of college. And I didn't know where to go. My mom, even, you know, despite me not listening to her advice and, and being rude to her, she, she was there for me. And, and, and supported me through it and helped me get back on my feet and start college uh, my sophomore year at a much better pace. And eventually I was able to, to get better and, and not really get better, just have my relationship be strengthened with her and us both work together to make me be successful and have our family be successful. Mm. And for those people that are, are listening that might be in the same boat, can you describe what rock bottom looked like? I think the rock bottom for me was it, it all has to do with priorities. So priorities is, is putting things that give you enjoyment over things that give you happiness. 
So you can sit at home and you can watch Netflix all day and it'll bring you temporary enjoyment, but it doesn't bring you any sort of happiness. The same thing goes with partying. You know, you can go out and party every night you might feel enjoyment of it, but you don't, you don't feel very happy the next morning when you wake up, right? Or um, having relationships with bad friends who, you know, might in the moment make you feel really good about yourself. But afterwards, you know, they don't have your back. They don't have your best interests at heart. They don't want to push you up. These are things that bring you enjoyment, but they don't bring you happiness. And a lot of the time, the things that bring you happiness, you have to work towards that happiness. Happiness is not just given to you because you want to be happy. Happiness is earned, something that you have to actually try at. And so rock bottom for me was basically putting all these things that gave me enjoyment. I put them at the forefront and I didn't actually think about, you know, what would be setting me up for later in my life or what would actually make me a better person. It was all just, you know, doing things the easy way. And it, it just, all those things piled up by once. And, and I, uh, you know, eventually failed my classes, was partying all the time, couldn't get out of that. And then, uh, didn't have many close friends or anyone to support me. So, but then my mom, she was there for me. The love of a mom is something else, isn't it? No, oh, it's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. Second to none, man. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about this idea of happiness and joy. So do you know the difference between them or what it, what do you think is the difference? Um, so you mean like happiness and joy in like a, a sense with religion? Or with religion, with relationships, with just life in general as well. Yeah. Um, well, so the, I guess I was talking about like enjoyment before is like things that you just find enjoyment from are the more negative aspects. And then you have happiness, which is more like a, a fulfilled feeling. You're not going to be fulfilled by something that only gives you a temporary enjoyment, but happiness is something that is long lasting. You're building a relationship with someone or something that is going to continue to influence you in a good way throughout your entire life. It's not just going to, to end when you wake up in the morning or, you know, or, or what, anything like that. It's something that is long lasting. And it's a lot of times, I mean, I'm a Christian person now myself. I was never a Christian for, again, another thing. I was never a Christian my entire life. I was a pretty staunch atheist person. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. And so a lot of the, that joy actually comes you know, from religion, you know, the things, the, the lessons and the things you follow from religion actually are a great indicator of if you're doing things that are going to make you happy or things that you just enjoy for a little bit. So let's talk about that for a moment because I myself am a Christian too, brought up in a Christian home, got saved when I was five, reaffirmed my salvation when I was 10 and sort of, you know, you have those down moments, like you walk away from God and God brings you back and all, all that sort of stuff in, in my life. Uh, but I know for a fact that he's real. So when did God make himself real for you in your life? Start. Well, I'll start off with this, that I was very atheist. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like very much so. <laughs> yeah. Like my brother was, uh, like I said, he was like my father figure. So um, like having, he was my masculine role model. And so uh, he was very, atheist in, in what he believed in. And so me being the little brother, four years younger, I just wanted to be him. You know, that's all I wanted to do. And so everything he believed, I parroted in every single way. And so in turn, that made me that way. It didn't really start occurring to me about the values of religion until I guess first is, is history. 
when you look at the history of America and you look at the founding fathers and how they actually wanted to establish this country, I mean, look, it's, it's written in there where every, every man is created equal with inalienable rights endowed on them by their creator. You know, that's something that really struck a chord with me, that these founding fathers who created this amazing country that we live in knew this, that all men are created equal and that you don't get your rights from the government. You don't get your morality from the government. You get your rights and your morals from God. And that was like a really big thing to wake me up. I mean, that was something that really not just woke me up to religion, but also conservative thought in, in general when I started getting political in my sophomore year of college. But honestly, Dennis Prager, I mean, the things that he's talked about with religion, he's, uh, if you're familiar with him, he's who started Prager U. I mean, he's Jewish himself, but, you know, he has a, a series about the Ten Commandments. I'm not sure if you've ever seen that. I highly recommend you check out his series on the Ten Commandments. But it's a very, it's a very detailed explanation on each commandment, why it is, is in there, why it's in the Bible, why it's said the way that it's said. And like why you should follow these values. It's a really, really good series. And to me that like, I was like, wow, if every person in the world followed these commandments, like the world would be a better place. Mm -hmm. And, and that like changed my life when I started realizing that, especially because, you know, being an atheist my whole life, I saw just the negativity there was towards religion and Christianity and everything. And I really believed it. And, and then I just saw these videos about the 10 commandments and I was like, like, how is, how is this, how are people thinking this is like evil? Like it's telling you to like do good things for your communities, for your families, for yourself. Like these are all good things. Yes. Like, I don't understand how they could be deemed as bad. And so, yeah, that's, those are some of the main things. Sorry, I'm kind of rambling on about that. No, no, keep, and keep that, going, man. I find it, I find it fascinating. And with the 10 commandments fact that about why people see it as evil almost, I think it's because many people they see it as oh thou shalt not do this and it's like oh i don't want to be told what to do so mm-hmm. i'm i'm just going to go completely against it it's like we we are conditioned almost because of sin to rebel and go against god and it's almost like god put it the ten commandments there for those people who want to try and follow it as best they can for those people that actually believe it but those who don't will obviously reject it and have everything under the sun to say about the Ten Commandments and how bad it is, but they'll try and go against God, really. They're just basically rejecting God. They reject you reject his words, you're rejecting him. It's the same, same deal. Because right. basically, God, the word of God is God's mind and God's heart. Like that, that's why he wrote it for us. Um, and that's what really like a lot of people for a lot of Christians, they, they try and brush over the 10 commandments as, as best they can. And like, Oh no, it was written, written way back then for, for the Israelites and, and all that sort of stuff. It doesn't apply to us today. Well, no, <laughs> there's thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not. All those things are part of our daily life. They, they may have, old style language quote to them they still are very real uh in, in today's society if you are a christian and you do believe in god and you do want to follow and do right and i think that's where a lot of people go wrong is because right. they, they feel I like totally it's old but yeah. it's not. no i totally agree and again another thing that that woke me up to all this and made me a Christian person is the idea of, of morality being objective versus subjective. 
is that people think that morality is just, you know, you think this is bad and I think it's good. You know, we disagree and it's just, you know, we have different morals. But you can't think of the world that way if you are a Christian who believes in God. You have to have an objective morality. Mm. If if morality is subjective, then someone can go on and say, oh, the Holocaust with Hitler, you know, who's to say that's evil? If there's no higher power telling you what is evil and what is not evil, which is where we have, you know, uh, do, thou shall not murder, which is part of the Ten Commandments, then anything can be construed as evil or good or somewhere in between because there's no objective morality. So having that 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 higher power telling you what morality is was like, wow, that's definitely true, you know, because who else is, who's the decider then of morality for all of the laws that we put in place and, and everything we do in this country and across the world for, for centuries, who is the one to decide whether this is good or bad if it's not God? Mm. And then we look at the morality aspect of our society. And then we look at the justice system as well and the laws that govern our society. It's like, uh, who, we, who are we following? Are we following the government? Because the government was the one that gave them the power to actually instill the laws? Or who are we following? And that, that's always been a massive question in my mind of this, this idea of injustice versus justice and, and actual morality on laws. Where they're getting them from, is it just a human being saying, look, this law is right because I believe it is right or is it right because it is morally right and it is going to bring about the best form of justice or what we perceive to be right or just in our society. Um, I was doing a, a deep dive into this at uni um, just last semester about this, this very thought of justice or what is just and what is not just. And I was always curious about this thing where we create laws that are unjust themselves. And so is there such a thing as real justice? Can it be achieved? That's, that's always been my, one of my biggest questions that I've asked people is, do you believe that we can actually achieve a just outcome for everyone involved? Or is it possible? I, I also don't know the answer to that question, but I can answer it as best as I can. Um, I think the, that we have the justice that might come while we're living in our human forms on earth now. And there's a certain type of justice that are based on human laws, but the real justice that should be fair because God is an omnipotent uh, being who knows everything that we do, who knows the exact punishment because he knows all. That is the justice that we should be really looking forward to more so than the justice that is happening here on earth. Because as we already know, humans are flawed and you know, no one's going to be the perfect Jesus Christ citizen living here, right? And so the, to, to think that we're going to make some system that is always perfect for valuing justice and giving people the correct sentences and making it fair for everyone is not impossible, I don't think, but it's very, very difficult for something like that to happen. But I do think that it could, in a logical sense of whether it could be possible or impossible, I think it could be possible if, if it were to happen, but I don't think probable at all. So it's possible if we look at it from the standpoint of Jesus being the ultimate one to achieve justice 
but it's probable you can correct me if I'm getting this wrong probable if we as humans try and achieve the right form of justice, even though we are flawed and do make a lot of mistakes. I know I'm saying it's improbable. It's improbable that we would ever make something that's perfect to make it all just for everyone. Yeah. That that makes sense. That that definitely makes sense. I like that. I like that analogy, man, especially when you mentioned the system of things, because like I've found for a lot of different things, like the government is a system, uh, universities are, and schools are systems as well. They, they put set practices in place and, and all this stuff to achieve a certain outcome. And it's like you are, in a way, it's kind of like brainwashing in, in a sense. Like they're giving you all this information. They're telling you what to think and what to believe. And if you don't, then you're not going to be quite marked. I don't know what it's like in America, but here in Australia, like universities, and I experienced this last semester actually with some of my uni assignments, like I would hand them in and then I get back a result and it'd basically be, you are not, this is not correct. And I'd be like, why is it not correct? And, and then they would go down and they'd tell me about how like it's not, it's not from a quoted textbook, but it's from a person that actually wrote the textbook. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So yeah. if, it's, if it wasn't from a, a source of, of an actual textbook written and for a university sense, but I was actually getting the person that wrote the damn book in the first place, they wouldn't count that as credible. <laughs> so they marked me down and it was like the most ridiculous thing on the face of the earth. But anyway, I, I won't go off on a tangent on that. But this, uh, this idea of what's right and what's just is just a fascinating, fascinating topic to me. And I think you answered it perfectly, man. So thank you. I'm curious about this factor of your life, about how you got involved with Prager. And you, you do a lot of talks about politics and they're very fascinating. So I encourage everyone to go and, and watch them. I've watched a couple of them. and. How did you get started in all this? Yeah. So like I said, my freshman year of college, um, I kind of screwed up like we were talking about before. And then my sophomore year started again new, but I screwed up my college sophomore year too, but I did in a different way. And it was actually a good way. So, I mean, I I failed all my classes and stuff, but I was fine with that because I started getting involved in in the political world. And I had, uh, I, again, waking up to all these things, I just saw how, how terribly that anyone with a difference of opinion was treated if you had a conservative opinion. And at the point when I was a senior in high school, that's the last year of, of high school before you go into college. At that last time, I mean, I didn't even know the difference between a Republican and a Democrat. And then by the time I'm a sophomore in college, I'm just like full steam ahead because I saw how terribly that if you had a difference of opinion at all, they ostracize you. They wouldn't let you speak. They said your opinion is not valid. And so I saw that and I started just doing tons and tons of research about conservative thought, reading books, watching videos, articles, all sorts of stuff. This was when Trump was going to get elected for the first time. So this was 2015, 2016, or 2016. And I just decided to get very involved in the political world in Colorado, which is where I'm from. I started working for an organization called Turning Point USA, um, if you've heard of them before. 
And then I started watching PragerU videos because I just wanted to learn more. And I made a video on my campus where I was asking women what they thought about the wage gap. You're uh-huh. familiar with the, yeah, like the gap between men and women. Of course, they all thought that they were super oppressed and not getting paid enough. And so then I sent it to PragerU. I taught myself how to edit the video and all that. I sent it to PragerU. They loved it. And then they said, you know, you want a job? I said, yeah. And I dropped out of school, moved out to Los Angeles with no money, not knowing anyone, just drove across the country and started working for PragerU. Wow. That's kind of how it started. <laughs> yeah. That's a fascinating, fascinating story. So when you started PragerU, was it hard at first or were you sort of like hitting the ground running and just excelling? It's definitely hard. I mean, trying to create a brand for yourself is, is hard for anyone, you know, even if you're really, really good like me, you know, (laughs) (laughs) the humility, man. Love it. (laughs) Just kidding. But you know, you know what I mean? It's like, it's very hard to like start from nothing, especially in the political world, especially being a guy who's at that point I was 20 years old Mm -hmm. and I'm a, you know, I look a lot like a lot of these other people who are in politics, you know, a straight white male, Um, I, I looked like a ton of them and I had no, you know, why would someone look at me and say, you're, why are you an expert in something? You know, you're an idiot. You're 20 years old and you don't know anything, you know? And so it's very difficult for me to start out and start doing things. But the, the number one advice that I, you know, tell everyone when they're doing this is that, are you, are you familiar with Ben Shapiro? You know, I I love Ben Shapiro. So Ben Shapiro is, is very, very smart. Right. And he can talk about any topic, political topic there is, right? He'll talk about abortion and climate change and social, anything. And this is what someone who my, who's my age, they say, I want to be the next Ben Shapiro. They say, I want to be able to talk about any political topic and go off and do this. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't do that. There's a, there's a million people who want to do what I do and want to do that. I need to find a niche that fits me the best and then move forward on that and build and carve that out, you know? And that's why I think I've been so successful and why PragerU has been really successful. We found things that are very specific to us and we haven't strayed away from our brands. We haven't tried to try to be everything or do everything. We tried to stick with what we know so that people say, okay, this is Will Witt. He's an expert in, in this subject, or he's the guy who's really good at, at talking to people because he's practiced for years now and is the best at getting people to expose themselves for for what they believe, you know, things like that. It's like, I set myself up in a certain light, a certain way so that I could be successful. So I wasn't just trying to be like everyone else. I love the mind of Ben Shapiro. It fascinates me as well. And this, yeah. I love like these political matters of, and I've always been curious about why they are more political than anything else, like abortion, um, the same-sex marriage bill, all these things. Is it because the government sort of makes them laws like is that the only reason why they are political matters like the the black lives matter movement all these other areas like are they just political because the government has made it so or what why is it that i think there's a a lot of ground for opportunity in politics so are you familiar with it? AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez Yes. here in America. Okay. So imagine a politician like that. And she went on the record and she said, um, the world is ending because of climate change. We only have about 12 years left, right? No one else is saying that who she's running against. 
So she takes climate change and she says, I'm the only politician who cares about climate change. If you don't vote for me, the earth is going to die. Another politician comes on and says, oh, I'm the only politician who cares about um, the life of the unborn, right? About abortion. So you need to vote for me for this issue. So things that weren't, that shouldn't be, you know, up for debate or that shouldn't necessarily be political topics become political because a politician, their campaign sees it as an opportunity to win a certain demographic of votes. That's mm-hmm. what I believe. You know, people can politicize anything. I mean, look at this, this George Floyd protest. I mean, the George Floyd stuff, it was every single person, conservative, Republican, Democrat, leftist, all of them were like, yes, George Floyd was killed unjustly. The police, the police officer with his knee on his neck, that was a bad thing to do and he should serve time. But somehow, even though everyone agreed with that, we still get so completely divided. We're the most divided we've ever been in this country and everyone hates each other and everyone is just using it for political gain whether, you know, not dependent on the side. And it's like, how can, you know, something that is so innocuous is like, we all agree on this and then it totally just splits off into all sorts of different sectors. So everything is an opportunity for, for people to just, to push their agenda on everything. Yeah, man. Like I wish I had more time to sort of dive right in and I got, I got a little bit more. We can do awesome. Man. Cause yeah, this- I think we can go for about 10 more minutes and then I got to, I got to get going. Sorry. I just got some other calls I got to take. No, I completely understand, man. We've got to do it again sometime because yeah, I love having these deep and meaningful conversations and, and really talking about these issues in society because I saw that there's a lot of people saying there's two sides of the spectrum. There's the, the Black Lives Movement is not a Marxist movement and there's the other side which says the Black Lives Movement is. And Marxism is a huge topic that we can unravel if we want. But why... For people that don't know, why is the Black Lives Movement considered, in your, in your point of view, a Marxist movement? They're a Marxist movement because if you look on their website and see the things that they talk about, they are not about supporting individual freedoms, individual liberties. They're all about the collective, right? It's all about uh, a, a collective group. It's about taking away the nuclear family, which it says on their website, which is just blows my mind that people don't go on there. I mean, they want to get rid of the police, which holds people accountable. So it's a Marxist movement because it doesn't want people to to have personal responsibility. It wants to tell people that there are these these injustices and these problems happening in their communities, in their at their offices, and uh, within their what am I trying to think? Their own social circles, whatever it may be, there are these injustices, and that they have to come together as like a collective group to disband the establishment, disband the things that are going on in this country, capitalism in this country, or the American government as we know it. I mean, there was just this lady, and I believe it was Portland, who was on video. It's going viral. She was a Black Lives Matter, um, one of the leaders in the movement, and she said, "It's time for us to disband America as we know it." I mean, this is what they want to do, and then. You know, many of these people, they say, oh, I love America. I just want to radically transform it. You know, if you had a wife and you said, oh, I love my wife, but I want to radically transform her. Does that mean you love your wife very much? No, of course not. So it's, uh, it's all a farce. And these people actually do hate our country. They hate what our country was founded on. They want to radically transform it. And there's millions of people that follow the movement and most of which are blind to what's really going on behind it. There's always, I think there's always under the, underneath the surface a much deeper issue that they it's always to do with control there's a huge amount of hate 
And if if no one sees it, then how are you going to change it? Like how are you going to and that's that's the other area that I want to sort of ask you about convincing or is it more like convincing people or there's a lot of um I I watch a lot of uh uh what's his name? The Change My Mind with Stephen Crowder. Stephen Crowder as well. Mm-hmm. I love how sometimes it, it sort of makes me frustrated at the the thought process of a lot of people and how naive they are. And then I love how Stephen just hits the nail right on the head all the time, but people hate him for it. There's a lot of, and that, that's part of the problem is people hate because they don't understand. And the automatic response is I'm going to hate something because it's easy for me to hate. It's like we are conditioned to hate. And we have to fight against it, like I was saying before, as part of our sinful nature. And even even some Christians don't know. And they I'm guilty. I say most Christians don't know. Oh, most Christians, yeah. Like I'm guilty of of hating what I don't understand. It's like automatically we're going to it. And I'm curious, is there a way to actually convince someone that that's not the way to go? There's a very long question. I, I, <laughs> the answer to this one could be very long. There's a lot that goes into it. I will say if you guys have seen any of the videos that I do, I mean, there are lots of people who do man on the street videos, but you know, not to sound vain, I don't think there's anyone who does it quite like I do. I think I have a very unique way of how I do it. I'm non-confrontational. I actually change a lot of the people's minds who I talk to. I don't make the videos for conservatives. I make the videos for everyone. I want everyone to see my video and say, this is how you talk to someone, or this is how you can change their mind on an issue. I mean, I'm actually, you know, um, might be working on a book about this very thing right now, which is very awesome, cool. man. but you know, how to, how to win on all these topics, like every political issue and kind of how to persuade people and, de- and debate people and win on these topics without being a, an asshole, you know, and there are ways to do it. The best, I mean, the number one thing that I've figured out is first of all, confidence. If you're confident in what you know, you have no reason to get angry. You know, only a a wild person can control their own emotions. You need to be able to control your emotions wherever in any situation. And the second, the second thing is you need to ask them the questions. Don't be put on the defense where they're asking you the questions and making you have to explain themselves. If you're confident and you actually have the knowledge to back up what you're saying, ask them the questions like about climate change. You know, this is exactly what I do. And then they expose themselves. You say, you know, how many years do you think the world has until we're, until it's ended? You know, and they say, oh, 10 years. And you say, why do you think that? And then they ask, they follow it up. And then you say, well, this study shows that actually, you know, it's not rising at that rate. What do you think of that? You know, so if you have the information, you can ask them questions to have to rationalize themselves. Then the wheels start turning in their head. I do these interviews and people don't even know that I'm a conservative. Like they don't even know. I just look like another, you know, student them on their campus or someone who's just coming up and asking questions for a YouTube video, they don't even know. And it's like, I like that. I don't want them to know that I'm, you know, some Republican type of person or something like that. You know, they're not, their mind's not going to be changed if it's that way. You need to come at them openly and willing to, to have the information to be able to ask them the question. So they have to rationalize themselves. Do you ever get nervous? Um, I used to get a little bit nervous. I mean, I've gone to some of these marches and people, you know, now that I've gotten more popular, people will know who I am at some of the bigger marches where there's a lot of people concentrated who are on the left and, and they hate me. So, 
uh, yeah, I do get sometimes nervous at things like that. But um, my cameraman, he has a, a tripod, a big, big stick. So I know, <laughs> I know he's looking out for me. If anything Is he martial arts trained as well? <laughs> no, no, he's not. I would probably have to defend him if, if anything, <laughs> to, to be honest. Just, just grab but, the stick and go for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. Oh, that's great, man. Like I've seen some of these um, these masters, and they're pretty insane. Like yeah. they get pretty heated. And insane. In in Australia, we had one just recently when with the George George Floyd case as well, and uh, Black Lives Matter. But instead, we had the the Aboriginals matter, which is not a bad thing at all. I think right. that there needs to be some sort of level of understanding and, and inclusion. Um, but I think they just take it too far. Like. Moment we see America and what America's doing, we follow suit. It's like America's the big brother, and we're the little brother, and we've got to, we got a we look up to the big brother. So, state of America, we just follow along with it, and it's like there's no we, there's no separation. Like we can't make our own beliefs. We just follow what America's doing, and and all that sort of stuff. Which I think, which I think is sad. Like you got two sides as well. It, it's crazy but not as bad as america um <laughs> yeah that's definitely true yeah that's definitely true it's a it's a tough place to be but these young people you know i don't blame many of them for what they do at all it's not their fault i mean they feel disenfranchised with america you know they feel like their country doesn't support them they feel like they can't make a lot of money i mean if you look at the the amount of wealth that uh my generation owns at the same age in their life that you know people baby boomers owned in America, that generational wealth, like, like young people own so much less wealth. Like they are not saving money, even though things have gone cheaper, you can get a TV for a hundred bucks. Now the price of healthcare has gone up the price of living expenses of insurance, like all these things have gone up. So young people in America, and this is a world problem true too, because of globalization, I mean, are all, they're poor, you know, they just don't have a lot of savings and good family lives and things like that. So Sorry, I kind of went off on a tangent there, but it's like why these people are are doing what they do. You know, they feel yeah. disenfranchised when they're with their country. So someone comes on and says, you know, we want a revolution or we want to give you free stuff, whatever it might be. Then of course they're going to be like, hell yeah, like let's go. Like they want to, they're charging forward with it because no one else has given them an answer of how they're supposed to feed their family or be able to afford their medical care. And like I think the word, word free as well sort of appeals and attracts people at the yeah. same time. But yeah. is it really free? No. No. But I feel like I feel like it just hasn't I feel like that's a new phenomenon. I feel like if you went back in time and you told people that that they could get something for free when they already have a good program in place already and it's cheap and affordable and they already have something, and you told them, Oh, you can get something free from the government now. It would have been like, hell no. No way. I love what I have now. Why would I want the government to give me something? I feel like it's I could be wrong because I'm I'm just pontificating on that but there could be like i think that i think that people are more easily swayed now to want some government handout than they would have been throughout history mm. i think we can unpack that a bit if we had more time as well but i really do appreciate your time today will i really enjoyed speaking to you hope to do it again sometime so thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast and sharing a little bit about your story of course man thank you for having me on i really appreciate it
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.